So this is uh, Majima Nikaya 21, just an excerpt. It says, Bhikkhus, even if bandits were to sever you savagely, limb by limb, with a two-handled saw, he who gave rise to a mind of hate towards them would not be carrying out my teaching. So Bhante, uh, you frequently emphasize, or the suttas frequently emphasize, that an arahant remains unaffected even in the most challenging circumstances. So I have three questions. One, can you clarify how their perspective differs from that of an ordinary person? What causes them to remain free from anger in the face of cruelty? And three, what misconception in that way of thinking or, or what kind of wrong view leads to ill will? Mm -hmm. It's kind of one question. But, uh... Yeah, well, really it boils down to the to the same thing that differentiates a Sotapanna from a Patujana, which is the uh, inability um, of his mind to crave against suffering when it's felt. The mind becomes unable to resist it. So it's not something, it's not something you do. It's not a matter of choice. It's not like suffering affects Putujana, then he chooses to stop resisting it, and then he becomes a Sotapanna. So it's more like a uh, Putujana recognizes that the root of suffering is the mind resisting the unpleasant feeling when it touches it, and that causes another layer of suffering in and of itself, which is really what Dukkha is. It's that second arrow that the suttas talk about. So then, through gradual training, a Putujana can then uh, train his own mind and basically teach it, uh, train it to unlearn how to turn against itself, how to, how to just jump into resistance against an unpleasant feeling. And when that training is sort of uh, developed to fruition, when the suffering touches that Putujana, he just sees that his mind is not going against it internally. Like he might do things about it externally, but internally, that eternal, internal dimension of mind um, sort of turning over itself, so to speak, when pain touches it and not wanting that, that, that has disappeared because he trained the mind pretty much. And at that point, he's not Putujan anymore. So now you take the same principle all the way. So then you recognize further layers of training that mind. Like now, when the arrow of suffering strikes you, the mind does not crave against it, does not like has that instantaneous attitude of I must get rid of this, this very moment. That's gone. And because of that, he has sort of experienced freedom from that second arrow. But within that, there might be other sort of subtle things now that the mind still leans towards, leans away, or wants to ignore. So then he just starts to train the mind further, pushes it further, and refines that training even further. So what differentiates Arahant, then, from uh, Sotapanna, Sakragami, Anagami, and certainly from Putujana, is that mind is completely depleted, any ability to turn against itself when anything unpleasant happens to it. It just cannot go that way. And the reason why he cannot go that way is because it was always impossible to go that way. 
but not fully understanding that, that's why you were going that way. And, and that's why it's irreversible. Training the mind in that way, it's irreversible. You can't then, if the mind has fully uprooted that craving, tanha, against whatever's felt, there is no going back from that. It cannot, the craving cannot be reintroduced. So that's why Arahant is incapable to have ill will even in the most extreme circumstances. Not because his perspective of what's happening to him is just always sharp, always fully maintained. He might be completely bewildered by physical pain externally. He might not be able to, like, his senses might not be able to compute correctly. But internally, regardless of his six senses falling apart, the chitta, his mind, cannot possibly turn against any aspect or the whole experience at all. Cannot turn against it. And again, not like, um, well, you can say Arahant's mind for the sake of expression, but it's not like that Arahant is telling his mind not to do it. No, that mind has been trained beforehand, and now that mind has become unable to do that. It has become unable to turn against itself, to turn against pain, to leap towards pleasure, to turn towards ignorance of the neutral feeling. How? Well, by fully understanding the nature of what it has been turning towards or against beforehand. In other words, it's like you will become, well, you won't have to tell yourself to drop a burning lump of coal if you learn that, oh, that's why my hand has always been burning. That's why, because it was always painful. If you recognize that now, you wouldn't even have to think about it. It's enough just to feel the heat and you will go away from it. Mentally, certainly. So the point is, it's not Arhan's choice to not have ill will. It's just that his mind is completely um, not capable of uh, having any degree of leaning away from any displeasure that might be inflicted upon it. Equally, Arhan's mind is not capable of leaning towards welcoming any pleasure that might be inflicted upon it. And Arhan knows that. So that's why like, he knows that he knows. He has trained the mind through right understanding and gradual training. And then things happen. This or that happens. And he just realizes that his mind, that mind that he's been training and keeping an eye on and containing, is not acting the same way as it did before. It's, just, it's not leaping at pleasure. It actually remains unmoved in the prospect of temptations. Equally, it's not shivering away from pain. It remains unmoved. It's not afraid of it because it knows that where truly pain comes from, which is that internal mind turning against itself, as I often say, that internal craving, that, that's been depleted. So those mental attitudes uh, is something that Arahant has completely trained his mind out of. And now, whatever were to happen to him, well, he doesn't know which way things will go, which way the circumstances will go, but he knows that one thing is for sure, mind will not crave against it. Internally, it will not try to eat itself just to avoid the pain. And that gives all the confidence you need for complete liberation. And that's something Sotapan understands as well. He just has not fully developed that principle in a sense um, it does not permeate 
any every circumstance in every direction in every possible permutations there would be things that would still make him a bit kind of um, caught up and so on but fundamentally on that most base level Sotepana cannot be struck by that second arrow of mental anguish and turmoil and anybody can relate to it like I'm sure everybody in their life has experienced something that the mind just keeps revolving around something of the unpleasant kind they would keep you awake at night they would make you worried and uh, and they would kind of it's enough for little things to just remind you of it and you just couldn't you well you can't help it and you just find your mind already fully reaching towards it, trying to cancel it, trying to resolve it, trying to deny it. And then you just have to go through the, until the mind tires out and you get distracted with something and then you just pray that nothing reminds the mind of that which already bothers it. And when it does again and again and again. It's kind of pretty much the nature of dukkha. Whether it's stress or anxiety or traumas or whatever, that's pretty much the common thread. The mind just going back at it and uh, you suffering on account of it. But if you could, you would stop that mind. You would tell it stop. And if that mind were to listen to you, it would stop. But it doesn't. Because it, you can't, it doesn't understand your language, basically. So you can tell it all, all you want, you can talk to it all, all you want, but it won't hear you. However, you can train it. You can train it with, with basically the, 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 the steps that the Buddha laid out. You can contain it, you can train it, you can harness it, you can direct it, you can learn how to read its signs and tokens and indications. So again, the simile of the cows roaming around everyone's pastures, eating unwarily and being punished, and you being punished on account of it. That's pretty much it. Mind just won't let go, just revolves, just spins, just spins. Who said what and not what happened? And then you suffer. You can't sleep at night, full of anxiety, full of restlessness, full of worry. Everything is a trigger now. Oh, but if, it were only, if, if only I could stop thinking. It's like, well, again, thinking is the mind's domain. Thinking is what the mind does. So you can't stop that. That's not your doing, so to speak. You, sure, you can distract yourself, you can look away from it, but fundamentally that mind, for as long as untrained, it will always carry the ability to turn against you, to turn against itself, to turn against anything that's felt if it deems unwanted. And that will cause you suffering. That will cause you fear, pain, anxiety, stress, everything that follows. So you train it pretty much through the gradual training, first virtue that, that contains the behavior regardless of, of, of what your views are and, and where the emphasis is. Then sense restraint. Again, it might seem like an indirect thing to you. Oh, well, virtue and sense restraint does not bear direct relevance to my problem, to my trauma, to my stress, to my suffering. Well, no, it, bears, it doesn't bear direct um, connection to the specifics of your trauma, of your memories, of your experience, of your past. But it bears a very direct connection to the wildness, wildness wilderness of your own mind, which is the fundamental reason for your suffering. It's not because of what happened to you. It's because the mind, by being an untrained entity, 
encountered something that made it very kind of um, agitated, angry, um, made it turn against you, against everything, made it want to deny all of it, and that's the utmost pain, fundamentally. So that's why like, the, the, the simile from that sutta illustrates the point that even if the highway robbers are chopping your limbs, circumstances are not the cause of suffering, are not the cause of ill will. By same uh, proxy, there are no circumstances are not caused of uh, sensual desire either. So recognizing then that keeping the precepts and guarding of the sense doors and watchfulness of your intentions, so like what do you want to do, why you want to do it, all those reflections we often talk about, yes, absolutely, bears no relevance, no direct connection to what happened to you when you were five years old or the stress you're experiencing because of your work or this but it's the direct line, the direct fuel for your mind, for its wilderness or for its tameness, if you contain it. So the simile, as we so often repeat it, of a wild elephant, you need to tame it, you need to train it, you need to make it obey you. Well, you can try and talk to it and you know, take, get, get some counseling and psychotherapy, but again, <laughs> it does not speak that language. What you need to do is first catch it. So stop allowing it to spill itself out into physical actions, into verbal actions. Contain it. And then it will kick and scream and urinate and defecate and rebel. But now it's, 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 it's tied down with the leather straps. And when it comes down, when, there is, when it realizes there is no compromise, I am not being let off the hook now, then you, well, First of all, you would see that. You would see now that the mind is not as rebellious against precepts, although it's been trying to find the ways to make you break it, to make you go against them. Because, yeah, look, look, it has nothing to do with, with this or that, or with this anxiety or with that anxiety. Yeah, but it has to do with you. And you are the reason that the circumstances cause me anxieties and so on. The mind is the reason. So you have to stop listening to these wild inclinations of your own mind, because that's why the mind remains pretty much in charge of you, not other way around. So once it's contained, once it's tamed in that sense, you then see like, oh look, I got this mind trapped now. There is a circumstance that it's unpleasant, and, uh, and I saw the mind's reaction to it. And I saw that, ah, oh, that was why I used to suffer. Because before, that mind that now I trapped through, through perpetual virtue, establishment of virtue, aggregate of virtue, sense restraint, and pretty much 24-7 watchfulness of my intentions and containing it, basically I see it now as an entity there that reacts to this and that. As opposed to before, where I didn't see any of that, where it was completely identified with me with my point of view. So when something would, when circumstances would arise and mind would kick and scream against it, I was just thinking it's me who is kicking and screaming against it. So there was like no, no, no buffer zone, nothing that I could see in between. It was just this and then the complete overwhelming anxiety and fear. But now when the mind is trapped and contained, I actually, circumstances arise and I see the mind doing that, not me. I'm not doing it. The mind is trying to go against it. And then equally, well, once you start to see that, then even the mind kind of recognizes, oh, okay, so I can't fool you anymore. Before, when I did, 
when I did like sort of leap towards pleasure or I, I resisted the pain or I ignored the neutral feeling, you thought it was you. And it was great because I was invisible, basically. So you completely thought it's you and, oh, then I need to do this or I need to do that, completely missing where the problem was. And the problem was simply mind doing it to you because you haven't trained it. Now you can hate your mind or something, but you wouldn't hate a wild elephant because, well, that's all it knows. Its wilderness is all it knows. So it would be kind of stupid to, to, to sort of feel ill will towards that in the same sense. Like, you can't blame your mind for doing that because that's what an untrained mind can only do. So all of this understanding begins with Sotapati. Seeing the signs of your mind, I seeing your mind as an actual entity, as an actual phenomenon there. Through trapping it rightly, taming it, containing it, discerning the intentions. Fully develop that training so, there are, so that there are no circumstances left, however extreme, that can still make you forget where the problem is. And when you can't forget where the problem is, that mind will be completely then tamed and there will be no kicking and screaming regardless of what comes that way. And there will be, no, there will be basically uh, incapability of suffering in your experience. So, so you say you've contained the mind, that elephant in that boundary of precepts and so on, and then something, you know, uh, that used to make it upset or lustful or angry comes in its view. So that elephant starts getting all roused up. So what do you do? What do you do? Exactly. So it's like, okay, so I'm keeping the precepts now. Surely I must be containing the mind. There is something that's upsetting me. What do I do? Well, that's the point you realize that whatever you're supposed to do is you're already doing it. Trap your mind. Don't let that wild animal go get loose. That's what you need to do. So something upsetting, something challenging comes. How do I deal with this? I deal with this by not dealing with it, but by dealing with this mind remaining trapped. That's what I need to remain sort of vigilant of. So you're kind of keeping it safe. Well, you're keeping it safe for your own sake. It doesn't know what... And for its own sake. But the mind doesn't know what it's good for itself. It's a wild animal. But even more, you are the one getting punished for its actions. That's the whole simile of the cow herd and a, and a, and a shepherd that the Buddha gave. You realize, oh, yeah, it's like this mind does this and I'm the one who suffers. So then the... And that's again, like people think sense restraint is just to avoid looking, avoid hearing. No, sense restraint is restraining your senses, including your own mind. So when you have these, you have something challenging comes up, uh, you need to restrain yourself from trying to deal with it on that specific level and not lose perspective that the problem is it's the mind that gets loose, that escapes the enclosure and then starts spinning and acting and, and doing and then I suffer. Thus, if I refrain from, if I, if I basically restrain my urge and impulse to, yeah, jump with that mind and go and try to deal with seemingly what caused me suffering, but instead just remain um, watchful of that mind so, it, so, so, so it's kept and closed, I'll stop suffering. But that's, that's the challenge in the beginning. So what do I do? Well, that's what you do. Don't fall into a trap of trying to deal with things specifically, thinking 
that's where the problem was. But actually remain fully <coughs> guarding that mind from escaping into, uh, into the, 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 the projected kind of idea of where the problem was. Yes. Yeah, you want to tame it. That's your sole goal. And everything that comes your way, oh, he said this, and we have this issue, or that issue, or I remember this, and my trauma of that, all of that is just to tempt you to give in and let that mind go, let that wild, untamed mind back into wilderness, uh, either uh, intentionally, volitionally, or kind of through, through, through lapsing of perspective. So all of the issues are not really issues. They're just there to, to distract you from what the real issue is, which is the wilderness of the mind. So if you have kept the precepts and if you practice the sensory strain, that will become more and more clear. So it doesn't matter what comes your way. The, the, the more things come your way, the harder you turn towards that mind remain, remaining locked and contained. Everything then, basically, with the right perspective, everything becomes a reminder of where the emphasis should be, which is contained mind. So, and eventually, it, it, like any animal trainer would know, it, you, well, they say that you break its spirit, kind of mm. thing. That meaning, you break its wilderness. Break its wilderness, yeah. At, yeah so, it, it calms down. You're not actually, and it's happier. Of course, absolutely, absolutely. You're not breaking its spirit, like making it well, sad or something. Sure, you're breaking its, its evil spirit. You can say that. You're breaking the spirit that causes harm to itself and you. So in other words, as a skilled training tra trainer, you would have things and sounds and images and memories coming up, but your eyes remain on the animal. You're watching its reactions. You yourself are not directly concerned with anything that your senses are uh, coming across, including your own mind. So it's all around, but you are keeping the eyes on that contained mind. And see its reaction. See if is it fl flinching. Is it, is it trying to react? And pick those signs and recognize that there is still room for improvement. Or no, look, it's completely calm. And it's just looking back at me and it's paying no attention to these things. That mind. And then you know, and that's exactly the simile of the cows and the, the shepherd. When, when he recognizes, then he can even relax. He can go to sleep under a tree. He knows it will not go too far. It will not react. Or the simile of the battle elephant, where eventually, when he has been properly trained, even when it's taken in, amidst into the core of the battle, when he's being prodded with spears and loud drums and screams and stuff, he doesn't flinch. He doesn't move. He does not try to sort of... You know, shy away is just there, kind of uh, resilient to all of that. Yeah, so then, then the mind becomes as pliable. So, like, uh, you can, you can tell it to do whatever exactly. you want it to do. Then you have learned how to speak to it, so to speak. You, know, you, you won't be trying to just stop it, stop it. But you know, you know that if you do this, mind does that. If you do it like this, the mind does something else. So you have learned, you have found the ways of communicating directly to it, which is an indirect way from where you are when you start practicing. When you start practicing, everything is in front, direct, uh, objective experience, my mind, intentions, wanting to do this, not wanting to do that. But actually, uh, mind does not respond to that. First, it needs to be contained indirectly, caught up, then wait until it comes down. Then through sense restraint and so on, you get to learn its 
signs and features, like what does he want to do when pleasure is present? What does he want to do when pain is present? What is it inclined to? Does he, do I just allow it to welcome it, relish it, think about it more? It's like, yeah, but see, and you can catch yourself. It's not going to be perfect. Say pleasure comes and, and you have lapsed and you're sort of proliferating and fantasizing and then you catch yourself. And again, you have a choice. When you catch yourself, it's like, oh, I must stop. Yes, you must stop. But also you need to know why you're stopping. So it's like, okay, so I can continue this. I can continue allowing and, and fueling these thoughts further myself. But I should not forget that that is the direct cause for the mind still being untamed. So then, when that untamed mind, when me, paired with the attained mind, untamed mind, encounters something in the world of a displeasing kind, well, that mind will probably turn against me, turn against itself, it will cause trouble, and I will be the one feeling pain. That's like the most direct method for mental training. For like, You can practice concentration all you want, focusing all you want, but all of that is making you it's not making you any more aware of your mind of that wild animal. But if you recognize that when you catch yourself in these unwholesome behaviors, you, you sort of uh, remember, recollect the context of and the connection between the two. The connection being, this behavior, I can handle it. It doesn't do anything to me. But it fuels the wilderness of my own mind. So then, as I already know, on account of my limited experience, that mind, when it doesn't get what it wants, uh, when it gets what it doesn't want, when it's separated from the things it wants to be united with, when it's united with things it wants to be separate from, I'm the one suffering on account of it. So I have a choice to continue following my desires, to continue ignoring my intentions, and all of that will maintain the wilderness of that mind, which means all of that will keep me paired with suffering. But if I don't then do these things and keep containing the mind, keep taming it through that containment and not providing unsuitable food for it, the mind will stop reacting in the ways that cause me suffering. So then I will be free from suffering. And once you confirm that for yourself, the inability to suffer because the mind cannot do those wild things anymore, cannot crave against the pain, cannot crave towards pleasure, uh, that's when you know, okay, this is the, the beginning of the right view. Because there is no second arrow following, not because I'm hiding behind the tree, it's just because the first arrow struck and the animal, my mind, is unmoved. And it struck again on another occasion and it was still unmoved struck again on another occasion and he was again unmoved by that time you know okay he's not going to move so you start to develop confidence in your own training that has been successful because the animal is not moving and then you wouldn't even have to know in the beginning you might be still a bit doubtful oh will it move will it not but when it doesn't move number of times even that doubt would just evaporate and you will not be able to doubt what's already there unmoving and you realize you realize that your mind realized for itself. That's how you know that you know. You know that the mind knows now. You can now, you can, you can open the gates because... Because that's what the Sutta described. Like uh, Arahant, he knows that he knows. 
it's not just he had the knowledge of something. He knows that he knows. So it's like a double, two-tier knowledge. And that's exactly what it is. You know that your mind now knows for itself. You've been training it and now you know that that mind has seen for itself that this is more beneficial than what it used to do when it was wild. And, and as I said, again, just to repeat, basically that's the, it all boils down to if you keep the precepts, like the Buddha tells us how to communicate with the mind right from the start. It's like, how do I become Sotapanna? Well, by practicing the gradual training, which starts with the Putujana. Keep the precepts. Guard, of the, guard the sense doors. See the danger in the slightest fault. Watchful. Be watchful of your intentions, actions, things you delight in. And that's how you're speaking to your mind already. Even if you don't know that. Even if you still don't see the mind, you already started communicating certain things, certain information. You already started communicating with that mind by developing gradual training. And then the time will come when you're going to catch on and you will recognize, oh, yeah, the mind is actually now becoming more pliable because of everything I've been doing before the aggregate of virtue that I developed, watchfulness of my intentions, all of that. Oh, that's why now I can see this mind not running away as before, not acting as wild as before. And then you can carry on speaking to it in the same manner, but now you know for yourself. Now you see how what you're doing is directly communicating certain uh, intentions, certain meanings, certain information to that mind. And yeah, that's like the, kind of has another layer, that analogy of the, the language. Like we said, you, you, it's like you speak English, but your mind speaks the sign language, for example. So you speaking English and waving your arms, mind does not hear what you're saying, but it picks on you waving arms and, you know, the whole energy or sort of output of it. And, and you don't even know what you're telling through it. All you might be, calm down, calm down. What you're actually saying it is craving, craving, more craving. Fun, fun, yeah. and, and the mind reacts to that. Yeah. And, and basically you don't even know that you are fueling it because you don't know what communication sign the mind picks on. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Yeah. Stop it stop. You're communicating the opposite of what... Of, yeah, like exactly, the, even the opposite. That's what I go, but, but just stop. I just want this mind to stop. I just want this thinking to stop causing me suffering. But your whole intention behind it the the, the, the the sign language of that intention, the movements of that intention are telling your mind just go wild with it. That craving you've been doing more, well, here, I'm adding more fuel for it. So un until you learn first for yourself where the emphasis should be, so it's, and, and that's see, the, 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 the point there is that the emphasis for everybody is like, oh, what I want and what I choose and what's right in front of me. So I want this, I don't want that. So in this case, I want mine to stop. I don't, I, I'm telling it, I'm wishing for it. But all that is irrelevant. All of that is just you uttering words that the mind doesn't understand. Instead of you wishing for the mind to become peaceful and trying to really concentrate into the peace and so on, keep the precepts, guard the sense doors, 
moderate in eating, see the danger in the slightest fault, watchfulness of your intentions from the moment you awake till you go to sleep, don't act out of anything unwholesome. Even if you don't wish and don't speak to your mind to calm down, it will, because that's the language of calming it down. 